say everything's bigger in Texas, including climate change. That's why Houston is leading the energy transition. Here in H-Town, the fourth largest city in the United States, entrepreneurs from across Texas and around the world are gathering to work with titans of industry to build the technology that will reduce emissions and power a low carbon future. We sit down with those change makers and wildcatters who are solving the toughest energy challenges. With trillions of dollars on the line, we dig into how Houston will bring technology to market on a massive scale. Join us as we talk with the leaders of the energy capital of the world as they show us how the energy transition gets done. I'm Lara Cottingham, and this is the Energy Technology Podcast. And I'm Jason Etier. Let's jump in. Welcome back to the show. Uh, I am here today with uh, Rodolfo Dieck. He is the managing partner at Peretza Ventures, which is a VC firm focused exclusively on the mobility space. They look to partner with ambitious and visionary founders, transforming the way we think about mobility and pushing forward a more efficient, safety-focused, and environmentally uh, friendly solutions. Uh, Rodolfo, tell me how you got into this space. Hi, Jason. Uh, thanks for having me yeah. here uh, today. Um, it's, a, it's a funny story, actually. Mm -hmm. uh, it was serendipitous. I was uh, doing uh, venture capital before. Uh, I was working at the largest impact investing fund based out of Mexico City. Mm -hmm. I was doing investments uh, mostly in, in healthcare and education uh, for about five years there. And then from a previous relationship that I had uh, from my investment banking days, one of my friends contacted me with the idea of launching a mobility focus fund. Mm -hmm. um, and uh, we started thinking about it and uh, we launched it almost four years ago now in the summer of 2019. Uh, at the time, I was aware of Uber, Lyft, Lime, you know. Uh, I thought, well, there's going to be probably not that many opportunities to to look in in, in the mobility space. But as we've uh, worked these last uh, four years, we've seen almost over 2,000 companies wow. now exclusively focused on, on this space. So it's been a very interesting ride uh, mm -hmm. to date, I would say. So so what drove drove interest? Was it really seeing companies like like Uber and Lyft? Or was there, uh, is there something that changed in the world where you said mobility is going to be it? Yeah, so it was a uh, convergence of four things. Mm -hmm. uh, autonomous vehicles, mm -hmm. electric vehicles, connected cars, and shared mobility. So those four main uh, trends is what uh, made us uh, think about launching this fund. And the fact that we have a single LP, a single investor mm -hmm. in our fund. Uh, our LP is a family-owned business based out of Monterrey, Mexico. Uh, they own three main businesses. The largest one by far is in the remote space, uh, the group owns a company called Metalsa, mm -hmm. which is a tier one OEM supplier that sells frames and chassis and structural components for pickup trucks and buses. And they're the market leader here in North America in that space. So they, they were trying to partner with more uh, startups, get into the, all these four trends that they were looking into. They decided to invest as an LP in another mm -hmm. fund uh, in the Bay Area, Autotech Ventures, uh, and uh, in, in their first fund. But after that, they, they realized they wanted to be even closer to the ecosystem, and that's why they decided to back us to, to launch uh, Proresa Ventures. Mm -hmm. and, and you're based in Houston, but I was looking at your portfolio, and it seems like the portfolio is international, yeah. right? Tell me a little bit about uh, how you find uh, all 2,000 companies. Yeah, and that's been really exciting for us. Uh, when we uh, set the investment thesis for, for the fund, we, we did a narrow focus on one uh, industry, one vertical, we kept a global scope, mm -hmm. and that's been very advantageous for us to compare and contrast business models across different regions. So we're investing mostly across Americas, from Alaska to Patagonia, mm -hmm. excluding Brazil, because we feel that you need local boots there to really be successful at, at investing and 
and knowing your way around it, and also in Western Europe and, and mm. Israel. That's where we are focusing on. Uh, in terms of where we get our, our deal flow, uh, it's it's a variety of sources. So mm. personal relationships that we have with other uh, funds uh, similar to us, uh, attending events, in-person events, which was a challenge mm. during the COVID times, mm. uh, but we did a lot of uh, online events. Uh, being a mentor, I'm a mentor at Techstars mm. or other uh, kind of uh, accelerators and startups. Uh, through our website, it's been an incredible source mm. for us. We've put out content on LinkedIn and, and our social media. And uh, it's it's, be, it's been picking up traction in the last three years. Every time we see more companies uh, directly contacting us through through the w- website, hmm. um, and yeah, we even got a couple of deals from Instagram. So it's of all places. <laughs> this is the first uh, time I've heard that. Yeah, it's, okay. Uh, we have a Gen Z and millennial team, and they take care of all social media. And uh, yeah, we've been able to source uh, companies from uh, a whole different uh, places. Yeah. You know. It's funny because when I was fundraising 10 years ago, I was discouraged from ever trying to go down the internet route because mm-hmm. it was always uh, it was always guided. You need an introduction. And, mm-hmm. and and I'm trying to figure out if that's because the, the the world has changed and we're just used to inbound traffic. Or is that because of your your tight strategic focus that it's almost necessary to, to get the span you need? Is it, What's different there? I don't know. I think it's a change also in uh, how society works and yeah. functions and, and covid for me, what I realized is it democratized mm-hmm. the access to capital. Mm-hmm. Uh, a lot of funds, uh, I mean, you, you hear this, like they, they wouldn't go outside of uh, uh, Sand Road Hill in yeah. Silicon Valley. Yep. They didn't want to be on a plane. For us, that's, that's not an issue. We're, we don't shy away from jumping on a plane, visiting our, our companies. Uh, so I think that's part of that. It's uh, thanks to COVID, there's, mm-hmm. it opened up uh, uh, different channels to, to get through VCs. All, usually it's better to have a warm introduction, for sure. Yeah. But uh, we have invested, I think we have 20 investments in our portfolio. At least one that I remember was an inbound that they directly uh, contacted us. Yeah. Uh, so it's I, I would encourage founders to go out there. I mean, a lot of people expect you to be uh, resourceful and uh, find your way around things. And if you, I mean, all the information of the VCs is out there. If you're not willing to do the work, then it also like uh, yeah doesn't come out as, as, a, as a good thing as a, as a founder. So... If you have a warm intro, that's great. But if you don't, if you don't, I mean, you have the content information, you have LinkedIn, you have so many ways to reach out to people these days that it's it's expected uh, yeah. from you to to do kind of that kind of work now. Interesting. So the the other thing I'm hearing is uh, you have an Instagram, and and is that is that personal or is that uh, with the the fund? No, that's with for the company. Okay. Yeah, I, I keep my my personal one <laughs> <in the> private. <laughs> so so I, I I'm curious because like. You're blowing my mind in some ways. What 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 are you what are you posting about on Instagram? Because I'm not on Instagram, so I'm just I'm just mesmerized a little bit here. But yeah. unfortunately, uh, Laura's not here. She she she's on Instagram. Apparently, it's mostly cat videos. So yeah. so I'm curious. What do you guys post? Yeah. So our main uh, social media platform has been LinkedIn. Okay. We usually post uh, articles yep. or uh, uh, pieces that we put together on, on a specific vertical mm-hmm. within uh, mobility. Uh, in Instagram, we've been doing articles as well, mm. small videos of events that we go to, mm-hmm. uh, team pictures. Uh, we've been profiling some of the founders that we have invested mm. in and their companies. Uh, yeah, so it's uh, yeah, I would say those those main things, and it's getting good traction. We, we haven't do, done any uh, paid uh, advertising; mm-hmm. it's mostly organic. 
And I think we're about to hit like 700 followers, something nice. like that. So it's nice. okay. uh, probably it's mostly our, our fans and family. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, it's uh, we're not putting that much effort into Instagram. Yeah. It's just grown naturally. And on LinkedIn, we're, we're very active and that's where we reach more more, more audience or more people. Yeah. And we yeah. just launched uh, our newsletter uh, last year hmm. uh, called The Paddock, uh, which is also something that we are trying to do to position the fund, our investment mm. thesis, and what's going on in the mobility space for all the founders and VCs looking to the space. We, we try to uh, curate some nice content and deals that we found interesting over the last uh, four weeks. So it's it's yeah. a monthly newsletter. Good. And uh, I think we talked about the vertical, but uh, what stage do you like to invest in? And, and, and I like to caveat this by saying uh, classifying seed in Series A the meaning shifts like every six months. So yeah. for you, what do you target and, and what are the things you look for? Is it, is it in terms of size or risk? How do you think about it? Yeah, like, like you said, it changes every six months and it changes on geography as well. Yeah. Mm. In LATAM, it's a very different uh, nomenclature as well. Uh, so we, we're we coming in early. Mm. Um, when we launched the fund, we thought about doing only Series A's. Mm. Uh, just given how the market was doing the last few years, uh, where the rounds just ballooned and uh, the, the pre-money valuations as well, we decided to go earlier mm. because we want to have a good ownership stake when we come in. So our average ticket size is about a million and a half. Okay, uh, We can go down to half a million, up to two million in first-time ticket. Uh, we reserve enough capital for, for follow-ons. And we have invested in pre-revenue companies. Mm -hmm. uh, and I mean, within mobility, we cover different uh, sectors. We also invest in hardware. So mm -hmm. we have invested in uh, uh, scooters, uh, trucks, uh, e-bikes, and uh, a few other things, uh, radars. And sometimes what we want to see is traction from a POC or mm -hmm. a customer feedback. At least have like, have an MVP already there working with a customer, having some of that first validation. Because some of these uh, companies in the space and mobility, once you get to a client, you can grow really quickly. Yeah. It's it's a, it's a challenge of getting there to that stage. And it mm -hmm. takes a long time. It's usually long sale cycles. And, and we are aware of that given our, uh, our LP and uh, all the experience that they have working for OEMs in in the US and, mm -hmm. and worldwide. Uh, but yeah, I would say we come in early, seed, Series A, we can invest pre-revenue or uh, early revenue uh, uh, at those stages. Yeah. Yeah. And, and I assume you lead in, in, in due diligence. Yeah, so we're very open on that. Mm -hmm. uh, we are uh, open to lead or co-lead or mm -hmm. be part of a syndicate. Mm -hmm. um, what I didn't mention is that even if we lead a round, we don't take a full round. We mm -hmm. usually take up to like 60, 70% of uh, any given round, mm -hmm. we're always looking for co-investors. Okay. It's usually played out that we take between 50 to 60% of a round and, and we try to syndicate the rest with current investors and our new investors that want to come into the cap table at that stage. Is that a matter of helping spread the risk or what's the thinking there? Yeah, it's part of that. Uh, I'm bringing more uh, leadership to the table. Uh, other investors that can co-invest with us and help the company uh, hit their next milestones. Mm -hmm. It could be a strategic investor or other financial investor that has a different perspective mm -hmm. than us. Maybe it's not so industry focused and brings a different kind of expertise to the table. If be it a marketplace person, uh, software as a service, or any other kind of business models that we are investing in. You talked about how you work with different verticals. Um, is there a vertical within mobility that's really exciting right now? And, and do you, I guess if you had a recent investment um, that you're excited about, you know, go ahead and tell us about it. Sure. Um, so we, we cover uh, a big span within mobility. Uh, something that we are very excited about right now is mm -hmm. uh, uh, the EV transition. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Uh, so there is a lot of 
uh, mm -hmm. convergence uh, for mobility with uh, other industries mm -hmm. that was, mm -hmm. wasn't the case a few years mm -hmm. ago or decades ago, like uh, energy, mm -hmm. mining, uh, logistics, and a few others. They're all converging with, mm -hmm. with mobility, and we, we see uh, a big opportunity mm -hmm. in, in that space. Uh, so one of the recent investments that we did, uh, it's uh, called, a company called Def Power, okay. uh, based in the Netherlands. Uh, the company is providing uh, a premium charging app mm. for fleet operators. Uh, it's a wide-label solution that allows fleets uh, to provide services to, for their clients to know where to charge, mm. how much it's going to cost, and to have automatic billing. Uh, because this is in Europe, it's they have connected over 450,000 mm. chargers mm -hmm. in Europe. So when you uh, charge across countries, then you have to take care of all the tax implications of that. So they're they're making it very seamless to have a, a, a single invoice mm -hmm. and, and to have a valid invoice. There's a lot of issues going on right now with invoicing uh, the charging sessions mm -hmm. in Europe. And that's like the, the first mm -hmm. stage that the company is, uh, is going after. But the, the, the thought here is they're, they're going to provide smart charging services, Got which it. they're already doing in Norway, to charge when the, the energy is cleaner or cheapest, mm -hmm. and then eventually do uh, vehicle-to-grid services as well. Uh, the, the tagline is free charging for life. Uh, yeah. uh, so you having that car with that battery, you should be able to make money out of it. Yeah. So if you plug your car into the grid, and at some point you either stop charging because the grid asks you to do, mm -hmm. or you want to send uh, power back to the grid, you are going to be compensated for that. And then you're going to make enough money that you're going to have uh, the charging for free throughout yeah. the year. Oh, I so, see. Yeah. So that's kind of the concept that they're going after. And it's a very um, experienced team. We really like them. We, they they are serial entrepreneurs. Mm -hmm. They founded uh, Plug Surfing, which is a... Uh, was an app to find the the most available charger mm -hmm. near you, mm -hmm. and their uh, their co-founder, the CTO, he, he used to run uh, Allego, one of the CPOs in, in Europe. So we're very excited about that company where it's going. We invested in their like seed seed, mm -hmm. seed round, uh, but they they bootstrapped for a long time and they have developed the product to a stage where they have already uh, marquee customers mm -hmm. on board. So it, mm -hmm. we're very very excited about that opportunity. One of the things I'm I'm seeing that's interesting, just in data in general, is, and, and, you, and I think you touched on it, was uh, timing uh, use of power with carbon intensity of the power mm -hmm. grid, and uh, it's it. I, I think the nuance here is when we say like there's there's either IoT or there's data everywhere. Like this this is the this kind of other underlying trend of how we get to net zero, right? Like the mm -hmm. way we were able to measure and manage um, and and enabling fleets to do that. It's just something we could not have even imagined 10 years ago. Yeah. Um, and uh, I'm, I'm finding for a lot of uh, these technologies, like that ends up being a really powerful, unique selling point mm -hmm. is just providing that information because we, we couldn't get it before. Exactly. Um, so glad they're doing it. And, and I know Europe obviously is, is driving a lot of the adoption of, of measurement around. Mm -hmm. uh, I think that would be a scope three mission, I guess, is yeah, the way to think, think so. about it. Yeah. So, yeah, no, that, that's very, very interesting. And and so one of the things you, you also talked about with uh, with them is uh, it, it's it's a platform that's B two B, but they're not necessarily doing the hardware. That's kind of a software layer. But that's you actually have other uh, another company that's doing the charging systems as well, right? Yeah. Uh, so that's another investment that we did uh, last year in twenty twenty two. A company called Electric Era, based in Seattle, uh, former uh, SpaceX uh, mm -hmm. engineers that mm -hmm. launched the company. What they're providing is a, a whole ecosystem. They call it the, mm -hmm. the power node. It's mm -hmm. the, the hardware. It's a, 
battery storage solution to be able to deploy fast chargers across the United States. And with the, the hardware, they're also doing the power node operating system, the OS, mm -hmm. which allows, uh, right now their, their beachhead market is convenience stores, the mm -hmm. 120,000 mm -hmm. convenience stores in the US that want to provide this kind of service. Uh, and just taking a step back, like the, the main thing there is to provide a good user experience. Mm -hmm. So as a user of, a, of as a driver, you, you know how the experience works when you go and, and refill your gas tank. And right now it's really hard to do that for EVs because most of the times the chargers don't work or mm -hmm. there's a limited availability of, of chargers. You don't know where they're at, they're VC or being occupied mm -hmm. by someone else. So it's, it's been a challenge to provide a good UX mm -hmm. in that space. And Electric Era is solving that for C stores by providing the whole ecosystem with the battery storage solution mm. and the priority system that allows them to manage uh, the grid and the whole site. They mm -hmm. can deploy between four to six chargers in their site and with their operating system, they can manage the, the load and make it more efficient and more affordable and, and provide a reliable source of energy for, for fast charging. Yeah, no, I was, I was at the, um, I think it was the Empower conference run by the Digital Wildcatter guys here. And one of the things that came up in one of the EV sessions was the, you know, the, the hardware all works, but kind of the failure point is is getting the plug plugged in, getting the little computer yeah. and, and and car to talk, and layered on top of that, getting your credit card to process. Exactly. And yeah, payment uh, is an issue as right? well. Right. And that's yeah. what makes it frustrating for someone where you're just used to the gas station, just kind of, mm -hmm. it just works. Yeah. And uh, it's, it, I, I think when we talk about EVs, most people focus on the, um, a range anxiety, but the the very practical day to day is you might be at the the, the station and if you just can't get the thing to charge, you're still stuck, exactly. right? And, and so yeah. uh, I can see that being a very uh, unintended uh, barrier to entry in terms of people wa wanting to have a good user experience. Yeah, that's those are the two main barriers, like the range anxiety yeah. and having a good UX. Yeah, uh, because another issue that happens is you might get to a charger that works, you're able to connect. Uh, but you don't get the power that you're expecting to get. Mm. So you plug in and you're expecting to get, if it's a fast charger, to get within 20 minutes, mm. I don't know, 80% charge, and it doesn't work that way. You get, I don't know, 20, 30%, and then it creates a, an even worse experience and you get more range anxiety mm. and it creates a, a bad cycle, you know? Yeah, and, yeah, uh, yeah. Interesting. Um, so when you think about... Uh, uh, the, the the transition into um, like a EVs like obviously there's a very big change happening um, just with with the adoption generally but think about like the startups you are seeing mm -hmm. um, what what are the challenges that you think they're facing um, that that maybe were different from a decade ago I think most of the challenges remain the same mm -hmm. uh, for me the the main uh, objective for a founder should should focus on on three main things. Uh, Setting uh, the strategy of, of mm -hmm. the company, mm -hmm. uh, having a company or startup well capitalized, so mm -hmm. fundraising, and bringing on board the right team in the right positions. Mm -hmm. So those challenges remain uh, no matter where the technology is going. Uh, all founders are going to face those. Um, and now I think what's changing, it's like, like we were talking uh, previously, is just how different industries are inter intersecting mm -hmm. with each other. Mm -hmm. So I think that the challenge there is to to know how you play within all these sectors and who your stakeholders are uh, so that you make sure that the, the problem that you're going after and your solution really addresses mm -hmm. the needs of all these people. So it's uh, it's getting more challenging, especially in mobility. And, and we see it, 
you have to deal with regulators mm -hmm. and a lot of investors really want to shy away from that. Mm -hmm. It's it's hard. Uh, you have to deal with uh, utilities. Mm -hmm. uh, you have to deal with OEMs. You have to deal with dealerships. So there's so many stakeholders around the table that you really need to find the place where you can bring the most value mm -hmm. and uh, create a successful company. Yeah. <clears throat> is it, it and it's not like those stakeholders are new is is it just that the because the intersections are more yeah. intense the way they're interacting okay. and, and how the pie is shifting like uh yeah uh, the who owns the customer uh, mm. the customer at the end of the day that's something that OEMs are trying to get closer to yeah uh and yeah so it's uh, it's the OEMs it's the uh, and all the service providers uh, the technology companies also that are providing all the technology that goes into the vehicle, who's going to end up owning that relationship? And and just the dynamics as to how the, the pie of the profits is being split, gotcha. that's going to be a, a challenge. For instance, we were talking about charging. Um, how is that going to be split? Who's going to take the money? The utility, mm -hmm. the EV driver, the OEM, because they, they, it's their battery, it's the car. Mm -hmm. So it's it's still something that is being worked out in the industry and uh, in, in the different spaces that we're we're playing in. And, and it's it's going to be interesting to see how, how it plays out in the next few years. Yeah, and so uh, uh, and, and for those who don't know, an OEM is the is the manufacturer of the the vehicles, right? Yep. And so one of the the major disruptions is, is uh, like Tesla decided to go direct to customers, hmm. and and part of that is a change in in how we we manage the service or the auto industry manages the services, right? Exactly. Yeah. yeah. So that that's that's changing everything. In, in yeah, and a few other OEMs have announced that they're planning to do something similar. Yeah. Uh, but it's hard because they have the legacy dealership uh, system. So, yeah, we'll, yeah. we'll see how that we'll, plays we'll out. see how it evolves. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Um, are are there some things that are easier today? I think we talked about fundraising. You can kind of do online mm -hmm. now, but but there are other things that are easier with the commercialization process. Um. Yeah, I think, I mean, the, the cost of launching a, a business or a startup has gone down significantly mm -hmm. over, over the last decade. Uh, you have all these uh, software providers and the mm -hmm. cloud that's made it cheaper to launch mm -hmm. a business. So in that way, I think it's it's easier to get an MVP out there mm -hmm. and not burn to, through a lot of cash before having some initial indication if you're in the, in the right direction. Uh, also, the availability of talent. Mm. I think uh, more people are expressing more interest in becoming entrepreneurs. Mm -hmm. uh, right now, mm -hmm. we're seeing some layoffs in tech companies, mm -hmm. and that's bringing more talented people into the pool of uh, launching businesses or uh, going into a startup, helping build something else. So there's certainly some things that have gotten easier. There's a lot of dry powder as well. Mm -hmm. uh, when you talk to, uh, to industry uh, experts, they mentioned all the billions of dollars that are available to deploy. Some of that, I would say, it's already uh, earmarked for portfolio companies mm -hmm. as follow-on investments. And right now, we're seeing a little bit of a slowdown. Uh, uh, VCs and investors alike, like us, we're waiting to see where the market end, ends up. So nobody yeah. wants to invest if it's still going to go down a little bit. But right now, it's being harder to raise at the Series A and B, I would say. Mm -hmm. Not so much at the seat. We still see a very uh, active uh, mm -hmm. market in, in that space. Uh, but it's also easier to get access to, to financing and more people willing to invest from different geographies li like ourselves. And that's yeah. something that we, we owe to, uh, to how we transition as a society to moving online in the last uh, couple of years. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. <clears throat> Good. So uh, we're here in Houston. Um, and, and you said you moved uh, to Houston. Yep. Uh, uh, what drove you? What, what brought you here? Yeah. 
Yeah, so if I'm completely honest, it was more a personal okay. uh, decision. My, yeah. uh, my wife has her four sisters here in the town. <laughs> uh, she's a twin sister. Okay. And the twin sister carries a lot of weight in the relationship. Oh, yes. So uh, that's the main reason we moved here. But also uh, from a uh, work standpoint, uh, Texas has been very open to testing uh, mm. autonomous vehicles. Mm. It's one of the states that has allowed uh, companies like Neuro mm -hmm. and uh, a few others in Kodiak and a few others, autonomous trucks, uh, Gatic as well, uh, to, to test their vehicles on the roads. Uh, and also just given the legacy that Texas has of being a big oil and gas mm -hmm. uh, state and how all the big players are here pushing the EV transition as well. Hmm. Uh, you have uh, Chevron, BP, Saudi Aramco, Shell, all their CVCs are based here in Houston, and they're looking at, at how to be a part of that transition. Otherwise, mm -hmm. their businesses are gonna, uh, yeah, uh, yeah, they're, they're gonna be stale. So it's it's yeah. a very exciting ecosystem. It's I, th I think uh, from a VC standpoint, it's still in its infancy, mm -hmm. infancy years. But you see a lot of more effort uh, from uh, current VCs, and uh, there's the Texas Halo Fund. Yep. Uh, and a few other initiatives that are pushing for more investment in, in Texas, specifically in Houston. You have already a more flourishing ecosystem in Austin, mm -hmm. uh, but it's a great city to be in. I think there's a, a lot of things going, happening in, in this space, in healthcare and a, and a few others as well. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I didn't. Uh, I think I looked at your portfolio. Have you uh, sourced and invested in a company from Houston yet? We have seen plenty of companies yeah. in Texas have yeah. not invested in one yeah. just yet. Okay. Um, yeah, it's... Uh, uh, we got to up our game. That's what yeah. I'm hearing. <laughs> no, I mean, <laughs> yeah, we, we've seen a few, to be honest. Uh, yeah. yeah, probably more than a dozen. Uh, yeah, we're yeah. more than that, but we haven't invested in one just yet. Yeah, so it, so it sounds like there, there's a good combination of like the strategic investors are, are are looking for ways to continue to be really strong players in the energy ecosystem. Um, and Texas itself is is very supportive of, of uh, autonomous driving. Are, are there any like hidden gems within the innovation ecosystem that that founders and investors should know about uh, just within Houston? Within Houston, um, well, I think there's there's a lot of talent here as well. Yeah. Uh, I, I've been going to a couple of events now that things open up again, mm -hmm. and I've been impressed by uh, the people that are here. It's a very diverse city. You have people from everywhere with very different backgrounds and expertise. Mm -hmm. So I think it's a it's a great place to, to start a business. Uh, I think there's a lot of incentives as well, mm -hmm. um, tax-wise, and a, a few other incentives to, to launch a business. And it's a vibrant ecosystem. It's just it's flourishing. So, uh, and it's uh, better in terms of uh, cost of living, and you have other amenities around that for uh, from your personal side of, uh, of things that make it an interesting place to to be here and, and launch your your next uh, startup. Mm -hmm. do, do you find uh portfolio companies set up offices in Houston or, or think about that as part of their growth plan? Uh, we have companies that have commercial relationships here mm -hmm. uh, in Dallas, Houston, a few other cities, San Antonio. Uh, I think, well, one of them has an, Aust uh, an office in Austin. Mm -hmm. uh, they hired their development team in, in Austin. Mm -hmm. uh, but yeah, it's mostly more commercial relationships that are establishing here with, with fleets or, or other yeah. kind of customers. Yep, yep. yep. Uh, we find uh, there's a good number of international companies when they think about entering the U.S. You know, it's Houston and Texas because yeah. it's it's easier to 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 set up and run a business here, and and also um, 
good access to the port if you're bringing in manufactured goods. Exactly. Um, so uh, it's it's definitely makes it an interesting diversity. Yeah, sure. and, and we've seen companies from LATAM. Uh, yeah. as, as I mentioned, we're investing in, in Mexico, Colombia, a few other uh, countries. And they see Texas as a natural extension yep. because you have a, a big chunk of the population here that speaks Spanish. So catering to that uh, to that population, it's always a very attractive mm. uh, opportunity to go after. Yeah, I was thinking, I heard you say earlier, uh, you, you look at deals all the way down to Patagonia. Yeah. And I was thinking, okay, there's a story there. Uh, is, there is there companies that, that have come out from that far um, that were interesting or you're willing to share? Yeah, well, I mean, we, we've seen a lot of companies from Chile and Argentina. Yeah. Um, we haven't invested in one just yet. We, we did put a term sheet in one, yeah. uh, but it fell through. Um, but yeah, it's it's a lot of innovation going coming out of uh, Chile as well. Mm -hmm. I mean, the corner shop came out of there. I don't know if you heard of them. Uber bought them. It's okay. a grocery delivery service hmm. for Latin America. Uber bought it last year or a year and a half ago now. Um, and there's a few other companies coming out of uh, the region that are very exciting. Uh, mostly targeting uh, all of Latam, but mm -hmm. also expanding into the U.S. I think there's another one. Uh, like an insurtech play from uh, Chile, uh, Betterfly, mm. uh, that is also, uh, I think it's Unicorn status now as well. Wow. Um, in, in Argentina, it's a little bit of a challenge just because of the uh, political nature mm. of, of the country. And uh, But there's very good founders that have established their companies in the US or elsewhere in, in uh, Mexico. Mm -hmm. um, and we are keeping a close uh, eye on them. And mo most uh, companies that are founded in South America, other than Brazil, are always looking to build a regional play to go into Brazil or Mexico, which are the two largest markets in, in Latam, and then to expand north to to the U.S. And, and I, uh, I know you mentioned Brazil. You, you don't necessarily focus there. Is that you know, there's obviously a different language, or, or so is there that language barrier, yeah. or is it also because Brazil is such a big market, they don't have the, the entrepreneurs don't look outside. Like, yeah, it's a, it's a huge market, and like you said, we're we're focusing on uh, Spanish speaking mm -hmm. Latam. Uh, mm -hmm. In Brazil, it's Portuguese, so there's yep. there's a cultural barrier there, mm -hmm. and it's a it's a bigger market, but it's not. I think it's thirty percent bigger in terms of GDP from Mexico, mm. but it's a mer very uh, developed market in terms of BC. Uh, in okay. venture capital, it's more developed, and you need to know your way around the local laws. It's it's mm. hard to uh, they have different uh, labor laws and. Uh, uh, how to run a business. So you really need to know your way around it or have local boots. Otherwise, mm -hmm. for me personally, it would be hard to invest from outside looking in into Brazil. Got it. Uh, and that's why we we have decided not to focus on, on, on that part of the world just yet. Yeah. And so I was also interested in um, how you said there there are a number of companies coming out of Chile and, and, and I've definitely met a, a fair share where, where uh, they're bringing innovation and, and landing in Houston. Is, is that a new phenomenon? Like what, what's changed where, where Chile is producing a lot of these entrepreneurs or, or have I just not been paying attention? <laughs> <laughs> no, I think uh, I think it was, yeah, the last two years, uh, there was a big boom for LATAM. Mm. Uh, a lot of uh, BC funds in the US started looking at the region okay. uh, because it's, it's, it's huge. We have a, yeah. a, a huge population, uh, very high internet penetration, yeah. smartphone penetration. And we have uh, kind of different challenges that developed countries have, mm. uh, but where technology can be applied to solve uh, pressing issues uh, in healthcare, education, mm. mobility, across different verticals, especially in financial services. That's mm. one of the sectors that has blossomed the most in, in LATAM. Um, and it's it's been interesting to see how it has uh, flourished in the last few years. There's been efforts from local governments. Uh, one of the good things that they have done is develop the VC ecosystem. Mm. Still... 
nascent. I think here in the US, it represents about 1% of the GDP mm. or a little bit more than that. In, in that time, I think we're close to 0.2, 0.3%. Okay. Uh, so there's still a long way to go. Uh, but there's been uh, incentives in place mm. to launch uh, funds that then go on and support uh, entrepreneurs. And as new generations come out of school, they're preferring to go and work in, in a startup mm -hmm. than a consulting uh, mm -hmm. gig or investment banking, which were the traditional go-to places after college. They're thinking about, oh, why, why don't I join this startup or why don't I found my own company mm -hmm. and uh, go after a certain opportunity? So it's 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 been really good to see. I've been uh, investing 10 years now. When I first started uh, back in like 2013, 2014, uh, you didn't see that many entrepreneurs. Mm -hmm. It was the usual suspects, people that came out from a banking job or a, another mm. privileged position trying to launch a startup. Now it's not so much the case. Uh, mm -hmm. you, you see people coming out of college trying to do things in a different way. And it's something that we have to instill more and educate people more mm -hmm. in, in, in Mexico. Like, for instance, on, on a personal note, when I graduated uh, from college back in 99, yep. that's a long time, <laughs> um, I told my parents I want to be inter an entrepreneur. Yeah. I wanted to launch uh, uh, a pizza business. Mm -hmm. And they're like, you're crazy. Mm. We're not going to support you. I mean, if, if you think you can make enough money doing that, go ahead. But if, if not, you should just get a corporate job. Mm. And it, it was hard. It was seen, if you started something on your own, something small, it was seen as a, as a bad thing. Like you weren't able to get the nice job at a big corporate in, in yeah. your hometown. Uh, and now that's not the case anymore. Uh, yeah. So that's changed significantly over the years. Yeah, no, mm. and, and I, I can relate. Um, so I, I, uh, my mother's Asian and, mm. and a lot of times in our uh, community, um, if you graduated and did not pursue a professional career like a doctor or a lawyer, it meant you were a failure. Mm. And, and, and uh, pursuing entrepreneurship is a real barrier because the, the, the cultural expectations. Exactly. Right? And so it, it, I definitely relate, especially when you have um, parents who kind of put it all on the line to, mm. to make a better life and, and bring you to a place like the U.S. Mm -hmm. um, it, it, it's, it's challenging to say, I'm going to take all the risk <laughs> and I become an entrepreneur. But yeah. um, there, there's definitely a, a different... Um, thrill that comes from building businesses yeah. that I think is hard to translate. Yeah, and the culture of dealing with failure, it's its not instilled no. in Latam. It's, uh, you think you're going to have like the scarlet letter that you're not going mm. to be able to do anything else after if you fail launching a business, which is not the case in the US. I think a lot of funds that I speak to or, or other GPs or friends, they prefer a two-time failed entrepreneur mm. than a first-time entrepreneur because the guy that has tried it before knows what not to do. So yep. he's closer to getting it right. Mm -hmm. uh, whereas in Latam, a few years ago, I don't know if that has changed so much, but if you failed, you were like, mm, mm. this guy didn't know how to do it. And you might have like a, yeah, like a hard time yep. relaunching or rebuilding yourself uh, up, you know? Yeah. I think especially uh, within Houston, there's uh, that acceptance that sometimes things are very tough and it's mm. it's more important um, how you handle failure than, than uh, be, you know, being successful or, 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 or failing multiple times. Yep. Um, and, and I think that's a uniquely Houstonian uh, ethos. So mm. I, I definitely appreciate that. Um, when we think about um, uh, uh, professionals, you, you were talking about uh, uh, even in, in Latin America, um, it, it's uh, more acceptable to enter the career within the energy transition. How should people think about um, uh, making that change here to, to either get into mobility if they want to tra transition careers? What should they look for in a startup? Um, 
as, as something that wants to join a, yeah. someone that wants to join a startup um well i think at the at the early stage of your career you're more uh, you're uh, you have availability of taking on more risk mm -hmm. so it's, i think it's something the first thing that you should look into is if there is uh, alignment in the vision mm -hmm. that the company is going after if you there's if you share the values that the founding team has and what they're trying to take the company to mm -hmm. Uh, I think that's for me. That's the most important thing, and that's something that I hear from uh, millennials and Gen Zs is that they're focusing on. They don't care so much about the money per se or the career path, but more so about if the company they're working for aligns with their values and, and their vision mm -hmm. of how the world should should function. And I think that's that's still uh, uh, very important. Uh, yeah. That's that's the number one thing. Uh, then, if you're trying to get into a more like senior position uh, or like the C-suite within mm -hmm. a startup. Obviously, you need to look into how how well funded they are. Mm -hmm. uh, how, what kind of uh, well, culture is part of uh, aligning with values? You find a good culture within that startup, but also how well funded they are. Uh, they're willing to provide uh, options to you mm -hmm. to have some upside, and and to know that you have at least I don't know 12, 24 months of runway mm -hmm. to really try hard and go for it. And if, if it doesn't work, move on to the next thing. But have enough uh, capital in the company uh, to, to be part of, of the team and, and join and help them get to the next stage, uh, knowing what their traction is kind of, mm. uh, what kind of customers are going after, if there's something you can bring to the table uh, to help uh, accelerate that. Uh, and yeah, connections and your willingness to to work hard with, with that startup. I mean, it's, uh, working at a startup is hard work. Mm -hmm. uh, there's a few hands around and sometimes you have to play so many different uh, roles within a company. And you're you're will you have to be willing to uh, pull your sleeves and, uh, and work long hours. And sometimes you're gonna be working really hard, not making no, enough money, and having uncertainty mm -hmm. that it might not work. Yeah. And that's uh, now that I mentioned, it's something that's really important. You need to have, you need to know how to deal with uncertainty. Yeah. Working with a startup, you, there, we see startups pitching us. We have seen startups pitches like three years ago. We see the decks today. And they have pivoted so many times <laughs> and that they're doing something completely different. The ones that haven't died, obviously, some, some yeah. have died and some others have found another product market fit, but in a different space mm. where they were aiming to go after. So dealing with that uncertainty as part of a founding team or mm. one of the first employees in, in these companies, it's hard. Yeah. And you need to be able to deal with that uh, because it can take a toll on you and your mental health as, as well. Yeah, and so that, that, that's why uh, sometimes it's good to go to the values because and, and the problem you're trying to solve because the, the values don't change, even yeah. if the product market fit may evolve. Exactly. Yeah, yeah totally true. I agree yeah. on that. Um, so when we think about kind of the, the energy transition that's coming, um, are there any uh, gaps you see where maybe like we as a society need to put more investment um, to, to kind of hit our, our energy transition goals over the next 20 years? Yeah, I think uh, we had talked about vehicles here, mm -hmm. uh, but we're missing a, uh, a big chunk of the market. Mm -hmm. if we don't talk about walking, mm -hmm. biking, or using micromobility uh, for uh, transport goods and, and people around. I think uh, we're used to seeing vehicles on our roads all the time, and that's why we think about vehicles turning now to electric vehicles which makes sense and it's a it's a good way to push that transition. But we need to think about ways in, in which we can move things and people around in a more efficient way. Mm -hmm. Vehicles that weigh less, like I think it's 70% of the trips are less than five miles. Mm -hmm. So do you really need an SUV that weighs, I don't know, 
thousand kilos uh, to go to the supermarket and get groceries? Probably not. You can have a cargo bike or a, mm-hmm. a, a small electric vehicle that has a lesser footprint. It might make sense. So I think we need to think about uh, infrastructure to pr- uh, to promote mm-hmm. the other kinds of mobility, other, other mobility nodes. And also uh, to push for companies that some in Europe are already doing this and a little bit in, in the U.S. in certain uh, cities, uh, thinking about different ways to deliver goods to, to people mm. and, and move people around. Uh, I know Amazon, DHL, FedEx have tried e-cargo bikes mm-hmm. in different parts of the world with uh, good success. Uh, it's a, a better way to move around, more efficient, uh, faster and greener, obviously. Uh, so there's so many things that we can do beyond cars that it's also very exciting for us. And we have invested a lot in micromobility mm-hmm. and looking at that space. I think there is about 10 times as many electric scooters, mm-hmm. mopeds, as there are electric vehicles in the world. Mm-hmm. I think in India and Southeast Asia, they have transitioned to EVs, uh, their, their moped and uh, scooter fleets. Uh, so almost 60, 70% of the fleets now are electric. Hmm. And we expect to see that in other parts of the world, uh, in Latam, in the U.S. as well. Uh, sometimes sitting in my home here in Houston, I think about that and how that could happen in a city like Houston. Yeah. And it's hard just given how it's, it, how spread out it is and how highways uh, are yeah. a main focus point of the city. Uh, but if you if you move around your neighborhood, you can move easy, easily in, in, in a different kind of vehicle. I'm, I'm, I've been thinking about getting an e-cargo bike or a golf cart. Mm-hmm. I've seen a few parents take their kids in a golf <laughs> cart to, to their school yeah. uh, where it's electric. Yeah. And just going to Randall's and get my groceries yeah. in an electric vehicle. I don't have to drive my minivan uh, that I have because I have three kids. Uh, it doesn't make sense to go for a one-mile drive mm-hmm. and, and get groceries. I could go another way and improve the way in which uh, the, the world works and, yeah. and make it uh, yeah, greener, you know. Yeah. Uh, one of the things that struck me, and I'm just thinking, um, I'm going I'm to be visiting New York for fun in a yeah. few weeks. And uh, I went right after COVID uh, uh, opened up, uh, things opened up. And I was amazed how much, how many um, e-bikes were there for just all the delivery people. Yeah. Because right? it just didn't make any sense anymore to drive. Didn't make sense to use a moped. But uh, everyone had the same like first gen e-bike with the big chonky battery. Um, and they were just everywhere. And, and, yeah. and that clearly works in a city like New York where mm-hmm. it is hard to, to use, use a car. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, translating that to less dense cities it, it is a real challenge because New York is a, is a singular place. Exactly. Um, yeah. But if, uh, if you go and see it, you can see like this, this is how this changes. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I have an e-bike. Uh, I, I, I try to ride. But here in Houston, my number one concern is am I, am I going to get stuck in the rain? Uh, or am I going to sweat so much that I'm not yeah. going to be presentable? It's very warm out yeah, there. Yeah, <laughs> right. And 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 one of the like secrets of an e-bike is uh, sometimes you don't have to pedal mm-hmm. if if you if it's too hot. Um, yeah. But uh, I still have that barrier where I won't go to HEB uh, to go pick up groceries yet because I don't have a, a cargo bike. Mm-hmm. Um, and so we end up taking the, the the car if it's if it's convenient on the way home. So it's it's a very yeah. real mental challenge that that we need to overcome. Um, but I have no excuses. It's yeah, it's no, like a six-minute bike ride. Like, I, do I, I don't I, have yeah. an excuse. You see, we're just so used to just jumping on our yeah. cars and uh, make it life easier. But there's other ways to to do that. And, but yeah, cities like LA, Houston, uh, a few others, uh, we need to think about that. Or, or maybe uh, improve uh, public transportation and have yeah. people ride uh, shared mobility as well. Or 
uh, autonomous shuttles, which mm. they're being tested out right now in in Europe. I, I think it's still a long ways from, from being deployed uh, on a mass scale you know, on the streets, but that's another way that we can move people around mm. uh, in a more efficient way. Uh, instead of having single occupancy vehicles uh, driving uh, I don't know, 70, 80% of the trips below five miles. Yep. It just doesn't make, sense. doesn't make sense. And if we transition the whole current fleet of ICE vehicles, of uh, combustion engine vehicles right now to electric, it's going to help, but not that much. Yep. We're going to still have congestion and a few other issues uh, that we're not going to get to our targets of uh, net zero in uh, in the next decade. Yeah. So uh, we're, we're going to start wrapping up because uh, of time. Uh, when we think about the audience that's listening here, what are things they could do to help you in, in your goals? We are very excited about the transition in the mobility space. So mm -hmm. if there's any uh, entrepreneurs uh, looking to launch or have, that have launched a business in this space, or other investors or corporates that are uh, looking into how to fit into this new uh, world in the mobility space, uh, gi give us a, a call. I mean, we we have uh, our social media; we're very active there. We have our, our email in the in the website, uh, or subscribe at least to, to our newsletter, uh, the Paddock, where you can find uh, a lot of information that that we think it's uh, interesting and relevant for what we're trying to push, which is a, a more efficient way of moving people and, and goods around. Yeah. So I'll put the website in the show notes, but uh, can you spell out the website for us so people can find you? Sure, it's uh, P-R-O-E-Z-A, uh, ventures.com. Okay, cool. And uh, as we wrap, is there any parting thoughts you want to share with the, the entrepreneurs and the, and the audience in the world? I would just say there's a lot of noise mm. out there mm. uh, in terms of uh, fundraising mm. and uh, uh, that is going to be a challenging year uh, or next two years. Uh, but I, I, I would tell you not to, uh, that that shouldn't detract you from uh, keep pushing forward. Mm -hmm. uh, that's something that we're saying in the mobility space. Obviously, I'm biased. I, <clears throat> I have mobility for breakfast, lunch, and dinner. <laughs> uh, and we have uh, several entrepreneurs that we have backed. Uh, but there's a lot of noise. And I think we just need to see this as a, a small blip in the road. Mm -hmm. And there's still a lot of capital available. It's just getting to the right uh, people and the right decision makers. Uh, and to bring the solutions to, to market. So I would try to end this on, on a positive note, saying that we still see a very bright future for, for this space and how it is uh, impacting the, the transition to a cleaner uh, environment. Good. Thank you. That's it. <laughs>